Good afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Pop for this Wednesday, February 7th. I'm Ray Graff. The coin and stamp experts are back for another rollicking hour of calls from all you collectors out there. Bob Scott and David Tripp join us this afternoon to talk about things like the $1.25 coin, which is generating some mystery. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about various other things in the stamps and coins world. If you have a question, give us a call. 800-348-2551. A dollar twenty-five coin. I got to read up on this. David Tripp and Bob Scott are with us today. And you can email as well, voxpop at wamc.org. We'll be back after the news. Hello again. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Ray Graff. Collectors, this is the exciting, this is the big game. I don't think you're allowed to say the name of the big game anymore, or uh, Roger Goodell will come and sue you. But this is the big game for all you collectors. It's the Stamp and Coin Show. David Tripp is the former director of Sotheby's Coin tapestry and musical instrument departments. He's author of Illegal Tender, Gold, Greed, and the Mystery of the Lost 1933 Double Eagle, and he's a fine art consultant and a cartoonist of note. Also joining us this afternoon is Bob Scott. He was a curator to a private collection, senior technical specialist at Christie's, and head of the stamp departments at both Sotheby's and Bonham's. He is currently a private consultant whose clients include Sotheby's, for whom he cataloged the world's most valuable stamp. If you have a stamp or coin question, Give us a call, 800-348-2551, 800-348-2551, or you can email us at voxpop at wamc.org. David Tripp, Bob Scott, welcome back. Well, ha- Happy New Year to you. Yeah, it's, it, really? This is the first one of the year? This is. We were here around Thanksgiving last year. You know, time the really... The turkey was good. Dinner was good. I got something for Christmas. I had to send it back, but... Well, you How know, about you? Uh... About the same. About the you know, same, everything yeah. is, it's funny. It seems like you were on about three weeks ago to me, but time compresses as, as we get older. As, yes. Uh, we're at the top of the, the um, roller coaster and it picks up speed as we get to the bottom. Isn't that <laughs> exciting? Yes, yeah, so you get to the bottom of the slide. So here's a snap quiz that you gave me, and I think this is great. What do the Magna Carta, Baltimore Orioles, Bay Psalm Book, Washington Monument, and the record-setting inverted Jenny Plate Block cataloged by Bob Scott have in common? I give up. David Rubenstein. Really? Yes. So who, we'll ask, is David Rubenstein? I don't know. He's a big hedge fund guy, uh, Carlisle Group or something like that. Um, And he's an amazing guy. He bought the Magna Carta from Sotheby's about 20 years ago for about $25 million wow. uh, and promptly put it on pu- permanent, I think, public display at the National Archives. Um, he bought the Bay Psalm book, which is the first book printed in North America for about $11 million, promptly put that on display. Um, you may not, I don't know if you remember when there was an earthquake in Washington, D.C. I do. Uh, yeah. Uh, this was, and uh... it cracked the Washington Monument. Yeah, this was 2011, yeah, exactly. I felt it here at my desk. David Rubenstein personally matched the government to pay for the repairs. Really? He's a cool, cool guy. Okie doke. He bought the Jenny Block from Bob Sale. Wow. And last week he bought the Baltimore Orioles. 
Oh, I'll be darned. And that's, <laughs> and that's your favorite team, right? Well, I wouldn't say, yeah, well, I'm a New York Met fan because I'm a New York kid, but right. I live in Baltimore now, so they're on we the pay up, attention. Man. They're, they they're going to be good. They're, they're going to be, be good, good and he's a Baltimore boy. That's great. And the, it, it was coming up for sale. So, I mean, it's just, but he does, you know, maybe he's going to make that into a national treasure like all these other things. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a, an award given out for uh, these researchers, one was from the U.S., I think one was from Egypt, and one was from, I don't remember where, but they developed an AI system that allowed them to read, for lack of a better term, these old scrolls that were terribly burned. Oh, I, the ones from uh, Pompeii. Exactly. That, that were burned Greek up. texts. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. Could this, whatever this technology is, be used to help sort out some of the fakes in the stamp world. Probably better to make the fakes. You, know, you think? <laughs> yeah, <Bob>? I mean, <laughs> is it a better tool for a fake? The thing is, with all these advances... It's, it's the better mousetrap. Yes, exactly. The advances in technology, you get to the point where do they help the faker or do they help the people trying to stop the fakes? Yeah, The fakers are always ahead of the game. They're the ones. We're always playing catch-up with fakers. Right. Why are the bad I mean, guys always uh, ahead? Well, it's that They're old... actually cleverer. <laughs> well, they... <laughs> it goes back to that Swedish study from the 70s. Um, I mean, they spent years and years and years because apparently crime does pay. Ouch. Okay, well, you remember, our legal department says that that's not necessarily vetted and true. <laughs> that's Bob Scott's opinion. Uh, well, what's the deal, uh, David, with this $1.25 coin you're telling me about? This is a great thing. It's a what we call a mule okay. in the coin. It's, it means the front and the back don't match, and it's very much like a mule. mule. Um, and in 2000, uh, up, up popped the new quarter with George Washington on it, uh, but on the back was the Sacagawea dollar. Oh, interesting. So these don't exist in nature, much like mules don't exist in nature. And there was a big question about their authenticity. And of course, the United States Mint has, shall we say, a rather checkered history over its 200 odd years of existence in enterprising mint employees doing things after hours to make make a buck or two. Yeah. Um, in this case, it turned out when they Somebody who was feeding the dyes into the machine, different theories out there. They were new. They were encapsulated. They were rotating guys from one set of, set of presses to another. And they got it mixed up, and they put one heads in with the wrong tails. Oh, man. And the coins are roughly the same diameter. And bang, they had it. Theoretically, they, they struck 350,000 of them until the authorities found them and trashed them. They found them before they hit circulation? Before they hit circulation, but somehow magically, and this is your U.S. Mint in in, in business again, uh, a few of them hit the market. Mm. Now, first one turned up, I think, in Arkansas or something like that. And the government started getting very suspicious, and they did actually spot a couple of Mint employees who went to jail for maybe sneaking them out in their oh, shoes or something like that. Yeah. However, enough of them turned up in other places without a connection to these guys that the government will not go after them and they're out there. Wow. And you can find it interchange theoretically. 20 have been spotted. They have no dates on them because you know, you've got the because you got two they just didn't match. Oh, that's so interesting. But they, that was the one year and one was sold 
about a week, two weeks ago, for just shy of $200,000. And what's even more fascinating is that the guy who bought it already had 14 of them. Wow. Which he's bought all at auction. So he owns 15 of the 20 that are known. Oh, that's interesting. So now that the the word is out that these are fetching almost 200 grand, then we'll go back to this criminal's business. How many can we expect to see fake on the market? How clever are the... How, I was going to how, say it depends entirely on how smart... The guys are, yeah. That's it. So, I mean, but the question is, did they get out legitimately, most of them, or did some get out one way and some get out another? From the government's point of view, it doesn't matter at this point, because once the barn doors open, they can't say they can't prove that you walked it out of the out of the out of the mint. Right. So once one's out legitimately, theoretically, the barn doors open and because they, they can't track them back and they, they're not going to go after but it. But a couple of employees did hard time for this. They did hard time. Wow, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the, go ahead. The, uh, the Jenny was pretty much the same story. They say they captured many, many sheets, but it was only the one that got out. And actually, surviving a purge by government inspectors try even the one sheet that got out they tried to get back again it just enhances you know as they say it just makes it rarer i can see them making a good faith attempt to bring them back but really truly what's the harm if collectors say i got a real valuable one here how does that harm this ostensibly i could take that jenny and put it on a on a letter right now and it's this the government What's the difference to the government? But that's exactly it. The government has to take the point of view of we've made a mistake, we want it back again. But deep down, they like it as much as everybody else because it gives Pe- them attention. People pay attention, exactly. Pretty cool coin coming up for sale in London, saith uh, David Say Tripp. If- <laughs> uh, what's the deal? Uh, this is the uh, uh, Byzantine coin. It's ac- actually the first Islamic coin, first gold coin with an Islamic inscription on it. Oh, really? And it's a fascinating history because this was within the first century of the spread of of, of Islam. So uh, six hundred. So six. Yeah, this is about six ninety. This is all okay. happening, and as Islam spread, you had the Byzantine Empire, which had been doing battle with the Persians, which was really the Sasanians. They kind of knocked each other out. They wore each other out. Islam spread in and started to take over. And as they came into ver- these various countries uh, and areas, uh, the people had a currency of their own. And at that time, Islam did not have, shall we say, a a, a numismatic background and tradition. Yeah. So they adapted and adopted what was then the circulating medium. I mean, that's all people saw. Yeah. So in this case, the, the coins that were being used had three emperors standing on the front, one of them with a long beard, sort of ZZ top yeah. kind of look to him. Billy Gibbons. And they're whole, they've got little crowns and the crowns have crosses on them and they're holding their orbs that have little crosses on them and on the back of the coin there's a cross on three steps and so that was the tradition so what 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 islam did is they adapted that and so people wouldn't be upset so the next coins that came out that they struck had the same three emperors but suddenly the crowns on the top of their the the crosses on the top of their crowns became little just and the orbs lost their crossbar mm. and the cross on the back became a T uh, but it still had the Latin inscriptions and then 
The next one, which is what's being sold in London, you have the same three guys on the front. Again, no crosses, nothing. The, the, the T on the back is now a column, but now for the first time known was in Arabic, the inscription, um, and it was the first time that the, that the, the famous expression of the, the, the faith appeared on a coin. And some people say it's the first time it appeared in print anywhere. Huh. Wow. Um, and this is, so the original one, the original Byzantine coin is $450 to 1000 uh, the second iteration, you can probably pick one up if you want for fifty or sixty thousand. Okay. The one that's coming up in London, quarter of a million, three hundred thousand. Mm, wow. But it really is important, and the fascinating thing is that this all happened in a five-year period, and then the next thing that happened is it's all into the same caliph. The next coin was all Arabic inscription on both sides. Huh. Um, and this is the first. Then from this point on, they were nothing but. In, but calligraphy, squiggles wow. and thoughts that nobody can read. And it's just a fascinating, and it all happened in a period Very of quickly. five years. The uh, number to call here is 800-348-2551, 800-348-2551. It's stamps and coins today. Bob Scott, David Tripp, you, 800-348-2551, or email voxpop at wmc.org. We'll be right back. Quincy Jones for you from the early 60s here. 800-348-2551 is the number. It's stamps and coins today. Ray Graff here. The number, 800-348-2551. David Tripp is the stamp guy. No, he's the coin guy. The stamp guy is Bob Scott, and they're here to take your calls. Let's grab a couple right now. Terry's in Guilford, Connecticut. Hello, Terry. Hi. um, Hi, Terry. uh, I'm inquiring about um, uh, some, uh, like, West Point, like they uh, in 2019 and 2020, they released um, into normal circulation uh, some uh, quarters with the W mint mark. There were five in 2019, and then in 2020, there are five different uh, designs uh, with the W mint mark. And the 2020s also uh, have the V75. Uh, uh, Mark uh, for the 75th anniversary of uh, uh, the end of World, World War, War II. II. Yeah, and I have not found them. I've looked through uh, many boxes. Uh, now it's been a while since I've looked, but uh, a few years back, uh, I, I went to banks and uh, got uh, the $500 boxes, <laughs> and no luck. Well, I but think I've the... heard other people have. Have had luck. Well, the, other the thing, people have found them. The, the thing is, they they, in comparison to the other mints, the Philadelphia mint and things like that, um, and Denver and San Francisco, they were made in incredibly small quality quantities. So, for example, in 2019, one of them uh, from Philadelphia, you had 280 million made. Wow. From Denver, 200 million made, but from West from uh, West Point. Two million. Hmm. So yeah, there, there's a, f- a fraction of them. So there are not many of them out there. And of course, collectors like you, when they spot them, they scarf them up, yeah. and they disappear very, very quickly. Especially today, because there's a bit more of a premium 
to something and like that. And what's the mint mark for West Point? W. 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 Okay, fair enough. Do they, are they put out in general circulation yeah. or no, these are they put, harvested out by... No, these these are put out into general circulation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Terry. Yeah, that's what's very interesting. Um, the, um, I know in 1996, uh, they had a W uh, dime, but they only put them in mint sets and... Um, and they're worth the premium. They're not like super valuable, but they're they're quite up there con- compared to other things that were produced in the last fifty years or so from the men. Well, I'm looking in my handy dandy, which I often adv- often suggest yeah, one does the Red Book, yep. and I'm going to read you a quote because this is actually quite. This is exactly it. In 2019, uh, 10 million quarters, two million of each of the five America the Beautiful designs were struck at the West Point Mint and released into circulation mm. as part of an effort to sub- to stimulate public interest in coin collecting. Mm. So basically they were there to seed the pot to make sure you opened up them, bought those 500 uh, pound bags of, of coins to go through. Okay. Well, hey, Terry, thanks a lot for the call. You know, speaking of... Um, st- Stirring up interest. This happens with stamps too. When I, in my youth, I bought a few first day covers that turned out not to be worth too much. Uh, Did I, Bob Scott tell you that? No, but th- this business about the penny black is interesting. Why don't you tell me about that, Bob? Oh, yes. The cover. Well, we had a great cover that came up for sale, and we will say right from the start. David, would you like to announce? Uh, no, I'm going to leave this to you. <laughs> it, it had an estimate of. Uh, one and a half to two and a half million dollars, and unfortunately, it didn't sell. Oh. But it was the first cancelled stamp on an envelope delivered on planet Earth. That's amazing. So the Penny Black was the first stamp ever, right? Yes, and they were released on May 1st, 1840, for use on May 6th, 1840, and somebody took it to the post office on May 2nd, and the post postal clerk cancelled it, and he put it into the mail. And it was the first time, you have to remember, that up until that point, if you were received a mail, somebody, the postman, arrived at your door, held out your letter and said, give me the money. Postage due. Oh. Postage was always due. It was paid on receipt until somebody said, well, you know, if you make somebody prepay it, yes. then they'll all get delivered and you'll make some money. And not only will we make it cheaper, we'll take a, we'll take a letter that they used to want a, a shilling or 12 pennies on delivery. They'd do it for a penny. And it began the whole postal system. And this was the first stamp that is known to have been used. And on Bob May did a great write-up. We know who, to whom it was sent. To whom it was sent and to whom it was forwarded. And it was a lovely thing. And unfortunately, it didn't sell. The f- funniest thing about it, it's um, we think about you know, the birth of the mail system because all of a sudden people could just take put a letter in the mailbox and it would be delivered. What people don't realize is... The mailbox wasn't actually invented until 20 years later. Wow. So what? we had to go to the post you office. Had to go to the well, you actually office. had to hand deliver it to the person you were sending it to. <laughs> and then, then you collect the money. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Diane and Saugerties. Diane, you're on. Hi. Back in the 1980s, my dad invested in some gold coins from China, panda yep. coins. Pandas, I yep. think they're pretty common. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Um, and now my siblings and I want to sell them, and we're wondering the best way to do that and if they have any worth beyond just the weight of their 
of well, the Well, certain system. panda issues do indeed um, have have a premium value over them. It 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 is like many other things. Uh, the specifics are involved, but these are are these um, full ounce pandas or are they fractionals? Do you know? Both. Both. I have some. Yes, I have some of each. Okay. Well, I mean, to give you an idea, you said... And there is sealed, they're in plastic pouches. They're okay. in very good condition. Well, it is going to depend on the date. To give you a, a, a rough range, for example, in the 1980s, if anything is before... 1985, it'll have more collectible value than after that, at which point the value is going to be really predicated very closely to gold weight, which, of course, right now is a good thing because gold is very near an all-time high. How much is it an ounce right now? Yeah. I think it's about 2040, 2050, something like that. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's it 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 did eke over twenty one hundred at the end of last year. So so if you want to sell and you're not interested in holding, it's as good a time as uh I can think of. Okay. Diane, thank you. And how how what's the best way to do that? Well, I don't you know, you can check with a dealer. The nice thing about them is uh the trick is you you can find some dealers that buy and sell gold uh, in your area. Um, no, and you can check online. There are very very good um, uh, things that you can check up. PCGS is one of them. They give you a rough idea of what it is. Check the gold price on the day you go, because because the the premiums are so close. If you walk into a dealer on the day on the day that gold is two thousand dollars even. The bid that he gives you will be based on that price. If you say, well, I'm going to think about it and come back tomorrow, gold could then be worth $1,900, uh-huh. and he'll have to rejigger it. So my theory is when you decide you want to sell, decide on that day, but do your homework before you go out so you know he's not giving you half of a half, one of 1%. Good plan. Diane, thanks for the call. 800-348-2551 is our number. David Strip. David, I beg your pardon. David Strip. <laughs> I'm fully dressed. Thank you very uh, much. David Scott. No, David Tripp. For, for crying out loud, I have not been Put drinking. Put the vodka down. No, no, seriously. David, that's probably the problem. I haven't been. David Tripp and Bob Scott are here. This email came in from Daniel, and the uh, email address is voxpop at wamc.org. Daniel writes, are the coin identification apps I see advertised at all accurate? Is there one for stamps that might be worthwhile? Uh, the coin things I have seen for identification are not – well, let's put it this way. They're not 100 um, percent. For grading, they are less than useful. Really? Uh, yeah. They're, they, they have not gotten that because half the time it, it relates to the quality of the photograph that goes in. Um, and they haven't picked up the AI programs don't know the difference between where and a weak strike. And so and I've, I've read a lot of online posts on these things and the results are all over the place. So from my point of view, the answer is do your own homework. OK, it's yes, but it's baby steps. This is just the beginning. They're going to get better. Yeah. And they're going to get better because, after all, what do we do when we look at it? We just we we just put together the criteria that we have in our minds over our years of training. Yep, you're going to be able to pack that into a machine. I mean, we're not redundant yet. It'll probably will probably be good for our careers. But you can see a 
a point in the future. I mean, look at so many things. Our you career could, is what, 15, 20 minutes to go? Yeah, you're going to retire tw- soon enough. Uh, we've got, what, no, oh, 29 minutes. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, we've got 29 minutes left. But when you look, you can your, your phone can now identify any tune that you can hear. You can point it at almost any flower in the garden and it will tell you what it was. It's not going to be that long before it's basically going to be able to give you at least a rough idea Very of exactly what it is. All right. Let's get the names right here. Bob Scott uh, will handle the stamp questions. David Tripp handles the coin questions. The number is 800-348-2551. 800-348-2551. Email is voxpop at wamc.org. Matt writes in, I have a 1909 VDB Lincoln head scent. I guess the condition could be fair. What's the ballpark worth of that? That's uh, almost there, but not quite. The VDB is the the classic. It's Victor David Brenner, which was the engraver's initials, which are under the bust, um, or on the reverse. In fact, they move them around a little bit. But in fair condition, it's going to be worth, you know, ten bucks, something yeah. like that. Now, if it had been made in San Francisco, that's the one that every kid. I was one of them that looked through my change. And never found, yeah. and that would be worth a thousand dollars today, or more, and now, lots they made more. A lot they, of pennies, they've sold. Though. Yeah. Did they all have VDB on them in 1909? No, really. Well, the, in 1909 they did, yes, but then they took it off because people said it was too prominent, and then they placed it more uh, delicately so that people weren't upset. They thought it was too much advertising. Uh-huh. Um, so it's SVDB as SVDB opposed to VDB. The, yes, SVDB, but an SVDB is sold. I mean, a really super duper. Califragilistic one is sold for, I think, close to a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. Well, we talked about the dollar twenty-five coin earlier. This email from Telespart in East Chatham. Below is an image of a U.S. eight-dollar note bearing a date of seventeen seventy-six, yeah. handed down through the family. Assuming it's real, what might the value be? I also have a two-third of a dollar note issued by Maryland dated 1770 and a five-cent U.S. note seemingly of the same period. These uh, There are pictures here, and I'll just I'll pass it around here. Bob, Bob's, we, good, we, got, Bob's good on paper, yes, too. Yes, we, we know what these are. So you can uh, scroll con- up and down. There's several pictures there. The, if, if it's paper, con- it's, if continental it's, paper, it's currency. Continental currency is very interesting. Is it continental currency, or is it... Massachusetts. Well, one of them is. One's Maryland, right? Right. One's yeah. Maryland, and the other is just continental currency? Uh, $8 printed in... Does it say... Is it... Printed by Hall and Sellers. I know what Oh, in, Phil- in, Pencil- in yeah. Phil- Pennsylvania, yep. Yeah. And they were in partnership at one point with uh, Benjamin ben Franklin. Franklin. Yep. Yeah. Explain, what while... Uh, Bob is looking silently at the screen. Explain to me how this continental currency worked and why there were so many different well, ones. Well, each state had its own uh, currency, in effect. That's that's the way it worked. Um, and then as we got together, then okay, this is continental currency. Continental currency um, to they 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 condensed everything together, and they because there were different exchange rates state to state, uh. which is why we have different. Colonial coins, in in, in essence, gotcha. and once everything, once the war was started, they tried to homogenize everything, and and continental currency was one of them. The problem with continental currency was very much like Confederate currency. There was nothing to back, back it. it up. And there's an old expression: "Not worth a continental." Ah. And that's because it was just paper. Now, having said that, today they are worth something, even in these, which are rather 
tatty condition, I hate to say it, but the nice thing is the hall and cellars that it has, and Ray, we will show you and you can explain to everybody, you see on the leaf on the back, that was actually an impression of a leaf that was outer, that was oh, yeah. an anti-counterfeiting device because oh. you couldn't engrave that. And that was one of Why those... could you not engrave? This looks engraved. No, no, the whole thing is engraved, but that's actually a print of a genuine leaf. So it cannot be... How do you do that? You put a leaf down and... With ink, and you press it. (laughs) Amazing. And, of course, it was easier than the other ones, which have individual numbers. Does that one say on it, tis tis death to counterfeit? Uh, This bill entitles... uh, On the the back, it might say, a lot of them do say, tis death to counterfeit. I'm not seeing it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. No, I, I don't see that. Oh, dear. Well, they some of them do say to his death to counterfeit, which it was. Oh, that's very interesting, yeah. though. I mean, I, and, would, I would hang on to that. What are those worth? Um, in that condition, I would say, what, $75, $80, Bob? I'd say probably less than that. Even less, I yeah. mean, it's, you, you'd look at it as being maybe 40 50 a little yeah. bit higher. But they're it, wonderful things. And it's been handed down in the family. They are so visually attractive. That's the sort of thing that I would frame and, and put up. On the on the wall. Okay, and that was some of them are signed, of course, and some of the oh, signatures are yes. better. That's the because big you difference. do get people actually sign the Declaration of Independence who also sign these notes. Oh, very interesting. Now we've talked before uh, about commercially issued banknotes, right? Commercially uh, issued. I mean, uh, but by entities, not by states or cities. Oh, by banks, yes, yes, and and uh, yes, and hard times banks, yes, banks themselves. And again, they weren't backed, and there were. Endless. There was bank failures and, and so forth. So now, what, what time period were they happening? A lot of that was happening in the 1830s, 1840s, uh, 1850s. And we really didn't get a national currency until 1860s. Eight, no, eight, well, no, 1861, 1860. Yeah. You mean paper currency? Paper yeah. currency, yeah. yeah. All right, let's take a quick break here. It's Stamps and Coins today. David Tripp and Bob Scott, 800-348-2551. If you have a question about your collection, 800-348-2551. Or email us at voxpop at wamc.org. We'll be back. Vox Pop on WAMC, 800-348-2551. Bob Scott and David Tripp join us today at Stamps and Coins. And the email address is voxpopwamc.org. The number is 800-348-2551. Before we do the next phone call and the next email, Fun Drive coming up February 20th. And that's a Tuesday. That's when we begin our Fun Drive. The lockbox is now open. The deal with the lockbox, if you've not listened before, we try to fill it as much as we can. And that way, when the on-air drive begins, which is, you know, you start at 6 a.m., it goes to 7 o'clock at night. It can get a little tedious for some listeners, although some people actually like it. We try to fill that lockbox and, in theory, could make the fun drive completely not happen. In other words, we'd have the the goal. Okay before the on-air fund drive begins. So you can go to WAMC.org, and you can make your pledge right there. It's a secure pledge. There are premiums, a go-go. You got all kinds of stuff, and uh, we would love it if you did that. We're doing very well on the lockbox. I don't have the exact number, but it's 
maybe six hundred thousand already in already. the kitty. And what's yeah. and what's one point two five? Now we wow. have we have not raised the fund drive amounts in I think thirteen or fourteen really? years with inflation the way it is. Yeah, I know. Oh. <laughs> I, and I said this yesterday. I said, you know, I was buying mayonnaise and. You know, the price of egg, what's in mayonnaise? Eggs. Eggs. Yeah. The, the price of eggs has come down pretty well, but, but mayonnaise has miraculously stayed at five ninety eight. I was going to say, and, and you're not getting a, a full 16-ounce jar. jar anymore. You're getting a 14-and-a-half-ounce yeah. jar. So you've got, yeah. Not, not that the station buys that much mayonnaise. I mean, to be clear, but it's just sort of the way things are out there But right you do now. Buy, buy, buy mayonnaise. I, I, it is an essential. It on the weekends, I like to take mayonnaise baths. It's very Ooh, nice. Yeah, okay. it's wonderful. Mm. Bob in Leeds writes, To honor the U.S. bicentennial, different nations created first-day issues of stamps. Franklin Mint, I think, sold subscriptions to the set. You received uh, GTOIP each month. Oh, okay. All right. You also got a binder. I have a set. Is it worth anything? No. Oh. Well, well, that was a st- Bob Scott answer. Well, no, this is where we have to be worried because we're going to go through the whole thing again in two years. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because the 250 is coming out, which means all the, the stuff from the two- the, But the, here's the thing. The, the bicentennial, so 200 years, yes, they mass produce. There's a lot of it out there. It's mostly postage and what have you. But they did the same thing at 150 years. Yeah. And that is actually... Worth okay, not so a you lot, gotta wait time. But some. So it's you know, they're jumping. So you so need you, a if, new lot. So you have to wait until the tri sesquicentennial for it to be worth anything. Well three hundred will be good. We just have to hope we're all still here. But it's a well, well I, I thought, won't. I, no, listen, I we're not gonna be, be here for the three for three hundred? Another fifty years? So that makes selling the stuff for the two fifty perfectly fine because we won't have to bear the recriminations. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, the 1976 <laughs> material was printed in such enormous and numbers. And the same thing with the coins as well. And there have been websites that have popped up, and I have had queries from people. Are the bicentennial quarters worth anything? There is and, a caveat. And they said they, they, but, but there are hucksters out there that are saying, oh, these are the new rare things. Buy them now in two years. They'll be worth more money. Oh, interesting. And they are not. Okay. The so, US... so beware if you're a buyer. Do not. Do not fall for that one. Okay. There are a lot of U.S. bicentennial sheets that were created. The sheets in them, in and of themselves, are yeah. There's a small premium on the postage, but not huh. justifying keeping it for nearly 50 years. But a lot of these uh, miniature sheets were not opened, so they're kept in their original plastics. They made a lot of errors. Oh, so they did. Un- so some exist without perforations. Some exist with missing colors. Some exist with missing dates, and those are worth some money. Uh-huh. So some people will, if they were just put away and never really looked at, there are a few little gems buried there. So it's not completely hopeless. But if they're general, they've been looked at. They've been what have you. The stamps are postage. And Interesting. That's it. But always check them before you disperse or use them on envelopes yep bob scott is here david tripp is here at stamps and coins today 800-348-2551 is the number before we get to our next call i was i was up at 2 30 the other night don't ask me why i was just up and i was flipping through the cable stations at that hour Mm -hmm. which is very interesting so apparently there are these two dollar bills u.s two dollar bills that they have taken i don't know what the entity is that has done this I, i only just sat 
slack-jawed looking at this going, wow. At 2.30 in the morning. At 2.30 in the morning because they had painted a picture of Donald Trump's mugshot on it in, <laughs> in full color. And they're selling these things. That's defacing United States currency. It, Theoretically, yeah. I think that is illegal. Yes, That's it. what I thought, right? Theoretically, I think that is illegal. In fact, you're not allowed to deface U.S. Uh, beautiful color printing and everything else, but it had, it had instead of uh, that the glowering serial, mugshot of him. Instead of the serial number, it had his mugshot number. Oh, I mean, it was weird, man. How, how many did you buy? Ah, well, you know what? Thankfully, my <laughs> wife hides the credit cards at night just in case I wake up. So let's go back to the phones. Eight hundred three four eight two five five one. Roberta and Camden, you're on. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. Hi, how are Roberta. you? Hello. similar to the previous questionnaire. Many years ago, in the 1960s, when I was a kid, the U.S. Post Office had first-day cancellation stamps, and on a page, you subscribe to this, had the information about the history on the stamps. Mm. So that I have, from maybe 1962 all the way up to 1970, First day of issue stamps, first, you know, cancellation, and the history. Mm. My question is, A, is it worth anything? B, how could I evaluate it if it is? And C, if it's not worth anything, where can I donate uh, it to? Bob is weeping right now, just so you know. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> um Bob. No, there's nothing we can do about this, I'm afraid. Oh, really? I mean, it's, it's, it's the old, unfortunately, it's a little bit of an old story. It's that everybody who wants one has got one, uh. which means there's an enormous surplus. It's, I mean, it's still something to keep. I, because I am of the same vintage, 1962, um, I can sympathize, but their time is not yet but the longer they are regarded as worthless means there will be there will come a point where they will just just because of their age i mean they're they're dating back over 60 years now Mm. they will they will have their time in the sun because so many people are and it's not just me. If you go to the internet, you can find these things on offer on eBay. And if you go back in a year's time, they'll still be on yeah. offer yeah. because nobody's yeah. buying them. So the but qu- at some point, there will only be X amount of them left. Right. And then you get to the point, I, it may have sounded facetious saying everyone who's got one's got one. Yeah. Well, the truth is, there will come a time when everybody who wants one won't have okay one. so all all you have to do roberta is to continue to live for a really long time yep that's it or or pass it down through the family which is the best thing to do all right do you want to follow up roberta my grandchildren appreciate it i bet they would and my, it's a great way to get them started collecting we bob and i try absolutely. to get a new generation and this is the best way to get them started so my regards our regards to your grandchildren okay roberta thanks for the call 800-348-2551 is the number it's coins and stamps today with bob scott at David Tripp. Let's go to Ann in Pittsfield. Hello, Ann in Pittsfield. Oh, you got to turn your radio down there, friend. Yes, I I am turning it right off. Okay. Um, thank you for taking my call. You bet. Yeah. 
So my dad passed away recently, and he owned a business for years. And over that time, he collected um, coins and stamps. And when he retired in his later years, he started organizing all of that. And now we are faced with books and books of stamps and drawers of uh, coins in boxes. And some are rolled, some are not. Some are in little packages or little. Anyway, my question is, where do we begin to find out if there's value to any of these? We really we talked to a couple postmen, mailmen, or letter carriers, and asked them if they had any advice. But we're really not sure where to begin. So I'm asking for some advice on what you suggest we should do. Okay. So we have coins and stamps. Yes. 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 Okay. Well, the first thing to do is, and Ray has heard me say this over and over again, uh, go to the um, uh, library, and there's a book called Guidebook to the United States Coins. I assume they're mostly American. Um, And bring it home and spread the coins out. It'll give you an idea of relative rarity. What's It's like we were talking about the 1909 VDB as opposed to SVDB. There's a big dollar difference. And... it does happen. I know a gentleman years ago in um, – he lived somewhere in um, Nevada, and he owned a laundromat, and he went through the coins. Oh, yeah. You told us about oh, yeah. this. And he went through the coins, and he particularly liked the coins that were made in Carson City because he was from Nevada, and he picked them out, and he picked them out. Ultimately ended up being worth – a lot of money. Wow, that's I mean, amazing. So it's not impossible. And maybe your dad knew what he was doing. So give it a start and you know, in, it, take baby steps with it. It's something great to do on a rainy day. Yeah. How old was your dad, if you don't mind asking? He was 89 when he passed. Okay. He owned um, a business and he also owned, owned a laundromat. So oh. Well, there we go. He collected quite a bit of coins and too. So for the coins, um, though, he and, may have been looking for mint marks yeah. and things like that. And he, if he mm-hmm. was that assiduous, he might have actually had a pretty good idea of what he was looking for. So do get a copy yeah. of, of the guidebook. Um, and there are okay. online things if you want to do it. PCGS, which is a, a general grading company, has a general price guide online. And just take a few of the, of the ones that look nicest and, and look them up. And you might be surprised. Or, I, you know, you can always ask... Pull, pull, pull a few out the next time we're on the air. Give oh, yeah. a call back. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, you, there's a stamp reference the same way? It's it's pretty much the same thing. I, without seeing, I mean, it would be so so much easier if we could see, like, you know, one photograph of, of right. everything on a table. Yeah. We, could, we, we would have a point of reference to start. But, I mean, as David said, you might have good things, but if he was just collecting Pre sixty four silver, exactly. You're going to have a huge a dime pile is of worth silver. Eight, that's yeah. true, and a, gold maybe two thousand. A dime 2, is worth 000, four bucks. Yeah, but yeah. silver's worth over twenty dollars. So yeah. every quarter is five dollars these days. Oh, that's it very adds interesting. Up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, there, there's always a way you can get in touch with us if you find something that you think may be valuable. How do you do And that? we'll be more than happy to let you know. Well, we you can you can contact Bob and me at. Coin and Stamp Guys, all spelled out, at Burke, B-E-R-K, dot com. You get that in. Uh, coin and Stamp Guys. Right, at Burke, B-E-R-K, like the Berkshires, dot com. Yep, at Burke, dot com. Yep. Okay. All righty. 
Good um, luck. That will at least give me, I could at least ask you questions from here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me some time. You betcha. Okay. Thanks Thank for you. the call. This email from Andrew in North Greenbush. I have an uncut sheet of $2 bills printed in the 90s. It was purchased at the U.S. Mint in Washington, D.C. It's such an odd thing. What do I do with it? Is it worth anything more than face value? And that's from Andrew in North Greenbush. Uh, minimally, more than face value. My, theor- my I would I would frame it. And put it up on the wall. They're great. Uh, $2 bills are still available at uh, Monticello because it is Thomas Jefferson's right. portrait on it. So you get them in change at the gift shop. Uh, but they, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing did issue these uncut still bills. Do. Right, still do. And they send them to you on a roll. And they're great decorative things. And but if you cut them yourself and you're very good at it, can you use it as a $2 sure, bill? Sure. Absolutely. Really? Yep. absolutely. It's real money. Yep. It's real yeah. money. Yep. Can you the, paint Donald Trump's picture on it? Uh, well, obviously, like, that's. In your, in your case, you'd be arrested and sent to prison. That, that was such a weird. You know, maybe I hallucinated the whole commercial. It's quite well, it possible. It was two thirty, just getting ready to get up to yes. come to work here. I guess yes, it was. Yes. All right, let's go to Holly in Massachusetts. Holly, you're on. Hi. Um, I think one of the previous callers had a similar question. I inherited uh, a box of stamps. Somebody called them covers. I don't know quite that what that means, but letters with stamps, but quite early stuff. And it, nothing is sort of just a big box. And I, I have no idea what to do with it. It really depends on what the dates are. Do you know how, well, how far back they date? Um, it, I mean, in simple terms, if it's dated after really the 19... 19- Let's say the 1940s, 1950s. No, I think they're 18-something like that. Well, if it's 18-something, it's different types of letters. If it's in the 1800s, it's more likely to be rather than a cover. It could be a folded letter, which is basically you take a letter, you fold it up, you seal it, and then you put a stamp on it. That gives you the the advantage that you actually have the letter so you can read it, so you have two facets. Uh There is the stamp use, and if it's got a basic three-cent stamp on it, I'll be honest with you, you're looking at, you know, three, four, five, maybe ten dollars. If it's a better three-cent stamp, the sky is actually the limit. You can go up to several hundreds, if not thousands. Um, But the second part is, what's the letter? What does it say? If it's a bunch of bills, not so good. But Mm. if it's a personal letter, if it says anything, if it dates from some of the great three-cent letters were sent during the Civil War, if they've got information about the war, they become historical items in and of themselves. So you've got to get specific dates. And the best thing to do is, depending on how many they are, pick some up and read them. Because one, it's a fascinating insight into life 150 years ago. But secondly, you can tell if you're interested, then somebody else will be interested Ah, too. All right, Holly, thanks a lot. Um, We'll go to the phones in a second here. Just thought of this. In 1840, we had the first um, stamp, right? Yes. And then in what? First U.S. stamp was 1847. Well done. Okay. Who followed... England were some Europe, European countries. Did they fill that gap between a, 1840 and 1847? There's a tiny, tiny group of. Even though it was, it was an immediate success and it was an immediate hit. And I've actually got an. Um, the person I used to work for has an envelope that was mailed. Stamps issued for use on May 6th, cancelled May 15th to a professor at Harvard, and on the inside of the letter 
because it's got penny blacks and tuppenny blues on it. Just the note, stamps in England. So they made the crossover very, very quickly. But what European countries you start, after 1840? Um, Brazil, I think, is 1843. Brazil. Um, mm. France, 1849. Is it France, 1849 or 51? France, 49. Swiss cantons, so Geneva, um, they're in the 80, 1840s. Um, there's very, very few. So the so U.S. was Brazil, the vanguard behind. They, they were very to, close. They were yeah. right up there. But the thing is, the U.S. was actually much quicker because it's such – the U.S. is essentially – well, it's the United States. The states themselves glommed onto it much, ah. much quicker than anybody else. So New York Postmasters Provisionals, theoretically, Pittsfield had one. Theoretically, um, New Hampshire, Vermont, um, they were all producing these things, 1845, 46, oh, very um, And the New York Postmasters Provisionals are actually... They're scarce, but they're not super scarce because it was so successful so early. And they were just independently introduced by the postmasters of the individual cities. We'll have to get into this next time you guys are here. Let's go to Cairo. And, Ray, you're on. you got about a minute here, buddy. Go ahead. Hey, Ray. Hello. Hello. How are you Hi. doing? Well, thank Good you. Good afternoon. Uh, um, um, my question was 1943 steel penny without a mint mark. Okay. From Philadelphia, there were almost three-quarters of a billion made. Uh, okay. And unless it's in absolutely pristine condition, it's going to be worth uh, under a dollar. Oh. Really? Yes. Ah, I, uh, all right. I, if you and have it, if you have it, and it's copper, then you hit the jackpot. So a 1943 copper, copper is worth is How worth, many were struck of those? Nobody knows. It's how many have popped up. No. And it's a None handful. were struck deliberately. None were struck. Really? It, what happened is they got stuck in the hoppers as they were being made from the 1942 issues, and they got loosened up, and they were made by real errors, and then they came I out. I see, and a number of them did get through. Exactly. And, and they, they went they can, into circulation. They can bring, but I think the, the record steel, for one of those is a couple million bucks. Wowzers. Wow. Mm. Steel, and steel is really basically worthless. A, not worthless. Yeah. It's always worth but, a penny. All right, listen. Always <laughs> worth a penny or, or a dollar. Or a dollar, <laughs> exactly. Ray, we got to leave it there, but thank you very much for the call. All right, David Tripp and Bob Scott, once again, how do people get in touch with you? It's coin and stamp guys, all spelled out, at Burke, B-E-R-K, dot com. Fantastic. Thank you guys for being here and uh, safe travels. We will see you in the spring. Support. It's almost. It's almost the spring, baseball season. A couple of weeks now to preseason. The uh, exhibition season in a few weeks. Support comes. Yes, let's go Mets. Support comes from Vision XL Lake Katrine, continuing a commitment to patient care, working to provide optical products and techniques while adhering to safety protocols. Appointments at 845-336-6310. Once again, thanks to Bob Scott and David Tripp for being here today. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for the emails. Thanks to Zachary Malloy, our engineer. Thanks to Andrea Leon, who screened the calls. I'm Ray Graff. Tomorrow at 2 p.m., jot this down. It's the Science Forum. We'll see you then.